Coming up on Philosophy Talk, pragmatism, radical empiricism, the will to believe, the philosophy of William James. William James gave us the stream of consciousness, and with it, the possibility of the stream of consciousness novel. From William James to James Joyce. Well, you know, don't tell Kenneth or haven't I told you, every telling has a tailing, and that's the he and the she of it. Hero, hero. What's true is what works. If pragmatism is America's philosophy, then William James is America's philosopher. The tender-minded philosophers versus the tough-minded philosophers. Can I decide, as James thought, to believe in God, even if the evidence is against it? Our guest is Russell Goodman from the University of New Mexico. The philosophy of William James, coming up on Philosophy Talk, after the news. Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. We're coming to you from the studios of KALW San Francisco. Continuing conversations that began at Philosopher's Corner on the Stanford campus. Today, the philosophy of William James. Ken William James is one of America's greatest philosophers. His, his career spanned the turn of the 20th century. He was actually teaching at Stanford at the time of the 1906 earthquake. You know, John, I know that uh, James has this reputation as one of the great philosophers, but I've read a bit of James, and I wonder if that reputation is really deserved. Is it like, is reading James like reading Hume, Kant, Aristotle? You know, they're in complete control of all their ideas, mostly. Well, yes and no. I mean, first, I mean, I should point out that, that James, like, like you, was deeply interested in psychology and philosophy, and he was actually a member of both departments at Stanford, Psychology First. And his great works in psychology, the varieties of religious experience, the principles of psychology, uh, two-volume work, they are really fascinating, wonderful, rich. Uh, he's non-doctrinaire. He's full of insights and empirical observations. It's really great. The philosophy, on the other hand, I'm, I'm a bit like you, but by contemporary standards of of rigor, uh, it's a little disappointing, although it's always full of ideas. Yeah, and one of the ideas that runs through all of his works is this thing he called pragmatism. What what did he mean by that? Well, uh, he meant a lot of things by it, but but two main things. Uh, one pretty plausible, one by my lights not so plausible. Well, let's start with the uh, plausible one. Give him the benefit of the doubt here. Well, that's the pragmatic theory of meaning. Uh, James Ill James illustrates it with with the story. The, the story's kind of implausible. Uh, some campers are having an argument about the following situation. A squirrel is running around a tree in a certain direction. A man, for undisclosed reasons, is following the squirrel around the tree in the same direction. Both the squirrel and the man are clearly going around the tree. But is the man going around the squirrel? He must be, since he's going around in a circle and the squirrel is inside of the circle. But he must not be, because if you go around a squirrel, you should first see the squirrel's back and then the side and then his front, and the man just sees his back the whole time. Well, you know, that's not what the guys I go camping with. We don't worry about that kind of thing on our camping trips. Well, I, I sympathize, but James apparently hung around with a more intellectual crowd. Uh, anyway, according to James, there was a spirited argument about whether it was true or not that the man went around the squirrel. I mean, maybe they had been drinking. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, James pointed out that the two hypotheses, that the man goes around the squirrel and that he does not, 
don't lead to different observable consequences. Right. And so he asked his friends, you know, what evidence, what observation would show that one hypothesis was correct and the other incorrect. And despite their heated argument, they couldn't come up with anything, with any difference. And so he convinced them that they were really arguing in their drunken stupor, maybe, about nothing after all. Exactly. And the way James thought of it was the question is, well, what work do these hypotheses do in predicting the future? Work, that's where the idea of pragmatism comes from. And they do the same work. There aren't any differences. So the argument was empty, and I think he thought this about some philosophical arguments, too. Well, you know, that sounds plausible. Lots of empiricists of various tribes have believed things like that. What, what, what's the implausible part? Well, by my lights, the implausible part is the pragmatic theory of truth. Uh, uh, this is the idea that what makes a belief true is the fact that it works. James says truth is good because we can write it into the future. Well, I I just don't think that's right. I I think the reason that uh, belief in the truth is helpful is because truth is what corresponds with the facts. And maybe it's not so helpful in every case. Well, right. Sometimes truth is unhelpful and sometimes falsity is very helpful. But, you know, you're you're a mad dog realist, so I'm not surprised you don't find uh, James plausible in the pragmatic theory of truth. Well, Ken, we, we've just touched the surface with William James, but in, in a moment we'll be joined by a real scholar who can take us a little bit deeper. That's Russell Goodman from the University of New Mexico. And we'd love to have you join in this conversation, too. 1-800-525-9917. That's 1-800-525-9917. Or, as always, you can email us at comments at philosophytalk.org. But first, our roving philosophical reporter, Julie Napolin, explores one of James's ideas that had a huge influence outside philosophy, the stream of consciousness. She files this report. In his book, The Principles of Psychology, William James makes the radical move to say that consciousness isn't always linear or logical. On a daily basis, we are all immersed in what he calls the stream of thought. For James, thought has kind of an uneven rhythm that it will sort of move quickly and abruptly and kind of in not quite clear ways across a bunch of associations and then sort of stop for a moment and reach a conclusion and then start up again and rush to another conclusion. Mitchell Breitweiser is an English professor at UC Berkeley. He likened the pacing of the stream of consciousness to a bird flying from limb to limb, sort of perching and flying, perching and flying, and and that attention to the kind of feel of that part of our thinking that we're always doing, but aren't always aware of. Around the turn of the 20th century, novelists became interested in James's idea of the stream of thought. Stephen Arkin is an English professor at San Francisco State University. These shifts towards a sense of the crucial nature of interiority, the, the layered sense of what it meant uh, to, to have consciousness, invited writers to think about what they might do in addressing how to present this on the page. The Irish prose writer James Joyce was one of them. Joyce was very, very taken with the idea of representing that flow. In 1922, Joyce wrote Ulysses, an 800-page novel that takes place in 24 hours as two men, Leopold Bloom and Stephen Dadalus, wander around Dublin. With only a loose plot and no narrator telling us what to think, Joyce turned radically against the traditional novel. He was convinced that portraying consciousness involved working with a flow or a stream 
a sense that there is an interior monologue going on that's very associative, that involves picking up notions that may wander so far afield that it's hard really to know how these things are related, other than as the preoccupation of someone getting through a day. In Ulysses, the world of the characters rushes at you, the way Dublin smells, tastes, sounds, and feels from moment to moment. What you get is a very, very different emphasis on what character is. It's less a matter of how characters are situated in a particular physical world and much more a matter of how characters perceive the world. In one episode, Leopold Bloom walks into a church and is suddenly bombarded by a stream of associations, remembering bits and pieces of songs. Stephen Arkin gives his best Irish brogue. Some of that old sacred music is splendid. Mercadante, Seven Last Words, Mozart's Twelfth Mass, the Gloria in that. Those old popes were keen on music and art and statues and pictures of all kinds. Palestrina, for example, too. They had a gay old time while it lasted. Healthy, too, chanting, regular hours. Still, having eunuchs in their choir work, that was coming it a bit thick. What kind of voice is it? Must be curious to hear after their own strong basses. He reminds us that we all seem to walk around with an interior soundtrack. Again, Mitchell Breitweiser from Berkeley. One of the things that gets left behind is the idea that we necessarily think in sentences or even in words. For both Breitweiser and Arkin, this cuts to the heart of philosopher William James's discovery. There is, for William James, a kind of musicality in terms of motifs come and go and re get reprised and so on. Um, and there's a kind of a flowingness what does it mean to walk through the world with a constant playing stream of thoughts, of associations, of recollections, some that seem highly specific and some that seem extraordinarily fragmented and vague, all of which amount to this thing we call ourselves? For Philosophy Talk, I'm Julie Napolin. You can listen to the rest of this episode by purchasing it on iTunes Music, or for unlimited listening, subscribe to our archive at philosophytalk.org.